You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. If you have a Bible, find your way to Proverbs. It's another Sunday where we'll be in a lot of different Proverbs. Um, But yeah, if you make it there, as you're turning there, I'll introduce myself. If you're new, my name is Jamin. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to Citizens Church. Uh, We're thrilled that you're worshiping with us this morning. If you're watching online, uh, maybe you've been doing that for a long time or this is your first time. Uh, Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Before we uh, turn to wisdom, uh, I want to turn your attention to the handout that you got when you were on your way in uh, this morning and just want to kind of explain uh, what this is. Uh, Over the last several months, uh, especially in the last Uh, several weeks. We've talked a lot about um, where we are as a church as it relates to uh, numerical growth. Um, So in our our two services, uh, we're just out of space, and we're out of space uh, in our kids' ministry. We're out of space in our parking lot. Many of you probably felt that in the last 20 minutes or so. Uh, And some Sundays, we're out of space in here. We've added chairs uh, to this room, and, and, and in adding them, people filled them up. And so Um, We are in a season of numerical growth, and and candidly, uh, that's happening when we're not trying to grow numerically. And what I mean by that is, you know, 18 months ago, it's not like the the leaders of our church set out to uh, grow by a certain number of people, and we've been executing on that strategy. The the mission at Citizens is not uh, to grow numerically. The mission of Citizens is to enjoy God love people and make disciples as citizens of a kingdom that both is and is to come. And what's been happening is God has been bringing people, uh, lots of people, uh, to join us in that mission. In fact, what's been happening is, like we said, on the, we asked a question on the survey that, that a lot of you filled out, and one of the questions was, how did you hear about citizens or what first brought you to citizens? And the number one answer uh, on that was, I was invited by a friend uh, or someone that goes to citizens. So really, church, this is all your fault. This is your fault that we are where we are. Um, all that to say, we're in a place where um, our elders, our, our, our staff leadership feels the need to do something. And in that, we want to do something. We're excited that God is bringing more and more people here to citizens. And we want to steward well the fact that a lot of people are, are are coming and more people than what we have capacity for. So we have decisions to make and, and, and all those kinds of things. And we're going to share a lot more about that tonight in our member meeting. So we have night of worship at five, and then we have member meeting after that. And we'll kind of catch up our church on a conversation that we've been having. Um, but knowing that we're in a place where we have to do something, we want to do something, what we know we don't want to do is anything in our own power. Uh, We don't want to do anything that doesn't include the presence of of God leading us. We want to go where God is leading. And so in Psalm 27, 7 and 8, it says this, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Uh, We are inviting you, church, into a four-week season of daily prayer and weekly gathering that we're calling seek. Because in a season of needing to make decisions, in a season where there's a lot of areas where we don't know what what to do, what we do know that God would have us do is seek Him. 
uh, pray and fast and worship. And, and we, at Citizens, we belong to a really strong spiritual heritage with our connection to the village church where starting years ago when the village didn't know what to do and you have a people who get on their face and seek God and God responds, we want to do that again. That's happened at key points in the history of our spiritual lineage. And so we're hoping this is another one of those kinds of points. And so here's how it'll work. Um, You'll get an email today. If you don't, you can email us and let let us know. Uh, But you'll get an email today inviting you to opt in to a text message that's going to go out every day for the next four weeks. So starting tomorrow, we'll send you a text uh, that has a scripture and then just has a prayer request. And we just want you, when you get that, would you stop and pray? And what we're believing is we're believing that as our our church, wherever you are, whatever happens, whatever you're doing, whatever you have to stop doing to take time to pray, that as we are collectively seeking God together, he's just going to honor that. The other thing is every Thursday night, starting this Thursday and going for the next four Thursdays, we're going to gather here in this room to worship, to pray, to take communion together. And we're going to do that from 6 to seven. Um, Some of us are going to be fasting on Thursday. If you're able to fast with us, would you please fast with us Um, so that on Thursdays we come in physically hungry as a reminder of how hungry we are for God and how desperate and dependent we are for Him. But in all of this, just consider this moment here as as, uh, an invitation to you, church, to seek God together. Uh, to seek him through daily prayer, to seek him through weekly gathering. And I know there's not a ton of lead time on this. I'm telling you about something that starts tomorrow, inviting you to come back tonight at five. Um, And it's going to take some adjusting for all of us, I think, to participate. But in that, we just feel an urgency, an urgency to uh, lean into and acknowledge how dependent we are on God. And really just to drive a stake in the ground as to say we don't want to do anything uh, that God's not a part of. I've said this verse before. It's, it's kind of a, a theme verse for me, but it's, uh, it's a psalm. Like I said, I really love it a whole lot. I can't forget it. <laughs> it is uh, Psalm 84, verse 10. Uh, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. I would rather be on the fringes of where God is than right in the middle of where he's not. And so we want to seek him together as, as a hungry people for him. And I don't know if at the end of the four weeks we're going to have like a super clear direction on where to go, but I do know at the end of the four weeks we will have honored God in our humility and in our dependence on him. So please join us in that. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. A day in your courts is better than a thousand days elsewhere. And so the heartbeat of our church, the thing that, that uh, is special here at Citizens is you, Jesus. You're the attraction, Jesus. Uh, a, a sinless, grace-filled, death-defeating, glorious God-man who invites us into relationship with him to be forgiven and healed and changed and shaped. We adore you, Jesus. We love you. In our heart, especially over these next four weeks, is to acknowledge our dependence that we're nothing without you, absolutely nothing without you. So would you guide us? Would you lead us? Do you hear me pray? Amen. Uh, Last week, uh, Tamarcus shared that we, uh, really last Sunday was the one-year mark in our wisdom series. 
And uh, I thought he did a tremendous job just leading us in kind of a humble posture on how to handle and process all this. But I've been thinking about being in wisdom for a year, and, and one of the things that I've experienced, um, having spent a lot of time in the wisdom books, but mostly having spent a lot of time in the book of Proverbs, is this thing has started to happen where I'm just living my life and a proverb will come to mind. Like I'm doing something, I have some sort of experience, and then a proverb will come to mind that will explain my experience or that will give words to my experience. And really what I'm saying is I'm doing something foolish that I wouldn't have historically understood as being foolish, but then the proverb comes to mind and it's like, oh, that, that's foolish. So in Proverbs 29.11, I'll give you an example. Proverbs 29.11, it says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Um, I'm late to things often, like uh, meetings, getting the kids places, um, and if it starts at 9, I'm there at like 9.05, 9.07, something like that. So I'm not like super late. I'm not 15 minutes late. I'm not that irresponsible. I'm just a little irresponsible. Well, the other day I was way irresponsible. I was 25, 30 minutes late. I don't even remember where I was going, but I'm in the car. Uh, It's me and my nine-year-old daughter. She's in the back, and I am feeling rushed. I am trying to get there, and I'm doing that thing in driving where I'm like trying to figure out which lane has the least amount of cars in it and changing lanes and changing lanes because that's going to take at least half a second off of my drive. And then uh, the light in front of me is yellow, and I'm like, please stay yellow. And of course, it turns red. And there's one car in front of me that stops at the red light, and I'm behind that car. And the lights just, you know those lights where they're just like unnecessarily long? There's no cars even coming. And it's like, and probably no one's watching. But maybe there's a church member next to me, and so I I can't just (laughs) run through it. So it's that kind of light. And then the light turns green, and the car in front of me doesn't move. And so I wait, and the car doesn't move. So I wait longer, and the car doesn't move. And then I out loud, in a raised voice, yell, go, and lay on the horn. And, and it wasn't one of those, like, when you're like, it wasn't like a timid, hesitant, like, kind suburban honk, you know? It was like a New York taxi, just like lay on the horn. And what makes it even worse is my car doesn't have like a deep, imi- like intimidating <laughs> honk. It's like a shrill, high-pitched whine. And so I just, my car just whined at the other car for like a good five to 10 seconds. And the the driver in front of me just pops up and and then drives off. And uh, then I drive, and my daughter, who I kind of had forgotten was in the back seat for all that, (laughs) um, she said, "Uh, Dad, that was really weird. (laughs) And then she asked the question. She said, what was that? And... Like, Dad, the you losing your temper and you yelling and you honking for way too long, what was that? And there are a lot of answers that I would want to give. Like, what I'd want to say is, well, we're running late and I'm feeling rushed, or, well, that driver should pay attention, or stoplight shouldn't be that long. But Proverbs 29.11 came to mind. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Full vent to his spirit means there's this emotionally unhealthy outburst. It lacks self-control. So the honest answer to her question, what was that, is that was me in a moment giving full vent to my spirit. And that's foolish. That's what that was. Um, We're in a place in our wisdom series where we're considering all the topics that the book of Proverbs covers. And so it's words and it's death and it's justice and it's work. And uh, there's 
the proverb that came to mind in the car, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, it belongs to a collection of proverbs that describes something that wisdom wants us to pay attention to. And it's a kind of thing that I have found in my own life it's easy to not pay attention to. There's a space in all of us that wisdom wants to transform. And I've struggled to, to find the right words for it, honestly. So I want to start just by reading some Proverbs to us and, and, and invite you to just kind of get a feel for what they're after. I'm going to read them really slow. Proverbs 29:11. a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty spirit exalts folly. Proverbs 16, 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Proverbs 17, 27. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit, calm, tranquil, settled spirit, is a man of understanding. Proverbs twelve sixteen, the vexation of a fool, the irritation, the um, frustration of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Proverbs nineteen eleven, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 15, 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Um, the verses talk about a cool spirit, a hasty spirit, the vexation of a fool, the inner irritation of a fool. Uh, it talks about being slow to anger. And what they're all talking about are things that first happen here. Uh, when the Old Testament, when the Hebrew word spirit, when it's talking about a human, it's talking about the immaterial part of you, like the unseen command center of who you are. When we've talked about it in the past, a phrase that's helpful for me to understand it is, it's your inner life. It's the, the climate of what's happening inside of you, the part of you that's you, but it's mostly unseen by others until it like spills out of you. So uh, you're all sitting here now. Most of you are looking at me. I can see most of your faces. You all look wonderful. You look like you survived a week full of snow days. You mostly look happy to be here. I can't see your spirit. I can't see your spirit. Uh, there's something going on in your inner life right now. There's something going on in the immaterial part of you right now, and I don't know what, what that is. And what it, for, it holds your emotions. It holds whether you're feeling discouraged or whether you're feeling joyful or whether you're feeling excitement or whether you're feeling anger and irritation. And uh, I can't see that. You know that, and God knows that. And whatever that is, whatever it is that, that resides in you, that's the part of you that's part of the spirit, what the Bible will call the spirit. And wisdom wants you to pay attention to that part of your life. Wisdom wants me to pay attention to that part of my life. Um, it especially, according to these verses, wants us to pay attention to when that part of you, your inner life, is easily provoked. It, like if you heard that in the verse, so like for me, when I'm running late, when I'm irritated, when I don't handle distracted drivers and I don't handle stoplights in a wise way, wisdom says, okay, Jamin, that's something that's happening in your spirit. 
Uh, when, you give, when I give full vent to an emotion and when I yell and when I lay on the horn, that says something about my inner life that is spilling out into my outer life and it reveals foolishness. And just so you know, I get that's not the worst thing in the world. I know this. There are lots of other examples of foolishness in my life. That's just the one I felt most comfortable telling you about, right? Here's the point, that, that the wise heed, there is a place in all of us, and I, I, think, I think it might be the most intrusive place that wisdom wants to lay claim. It wants to change. It wants to transform. And it's the very inner, unseen, immaterial part of who you are that holds so much of who you are, your spirit. And wisdom wants to create in us a wise spirit, a spirit that's not easily provoked to foolishness. So there's three markers of a wise spirit that we see in these verses and, and others that we'll look at. The wise spirit is slow to anger, hard to offend, and quick to bring peace. The wise spirit is slow to anger, hard to offend, and quick to bring peace. Just so that we listen to this in a way that I think actually brings change, what we're to personalize it, so that it's not just objective or ethereal. The question this morning is, are you slow to anger? Are you hard to offend? Are you quick to bring peace? Are you wise? Do you have a wise spirit? We'll start with slow to anger. Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding but he who has a hasty spirit exalts folly. Proverbs 16, 32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Uh, Ecclesiastes 7, 9, I did not read this one yet. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Notice something, it's really important. Uh, these verses don't talk about being free of anger. They talk about being slow to anger. Uh, Jesus gets angry. We know that. Paul says in Ephesians, be angry and do not what? Sin. So there's a way to be angry and not sinning. There's a way to be righteously angry. The wise spirit is slow to anger, not free of anger. So uh, that assumes that sometimes you're going to get angry and you're going to arrive there in a way that honors God. It's not that the wise are never angry, it's this. The wise know how to handle anger. The wise know what to do with anger when it's felt. I'm gonna spend a, a lot of time here, bear with me, there's some important things to unpack. Um, there's a book that's written by one of my favorite Old Testament theologians, his name's Trimper Longman, strong name. Uh, and he wrote that book with a Christian counselor named Dan Allender. And they wrote a book on the Psalms about how the Psalms model how to deal with emotion. And the book is called The Cry of the Soul. It's really wonderful. They say in the book, every emotion is a theological statement. And here's what they argue, that we should view our emotions from the perspective of whether they lead us to engagement with God or move us away from greater dependence on him. We can listen to what they tell us about our struggles. Emotions are like messengers from the front lines of the battle zone. Our tendency is to kill the messenger, but if we listen carefully, we will learn how to fight the war successfully. That's been a really helpful image for me. Uh, emotions are like messengers from the front line of the battle of your heart. This isn't the main point, but it's a good time to point out. You can't be spiritually healthy and emotionally unhealthy at the same time. 
And part of emotional health is paying attention to what our emotions reveal, uh, understanding that they play a messenger-type role in our life. And so if there is in all of us, which there is, a war for control of our heart, if there's a war for uh, who gets your love and who gets your worship, part of what emotion does is it tells us how that's going. So if we think about that with respect to anger and being slow to anger, anger is an emotion. And it's a messenger. And one of the ways to be slow to anger and wise with anger is to consider what's it saying? What what is my anger telling me about me? What we can't do, like you saw in the quote, we can't shoot the messenger, meaning you can't suppress it. You can't ignore it. You can't um, undermine what it's actually saying. So there's certain things that we just don't like to feel, and anger is one of them. Some of us just hate that we're talking about this right now. You're sitting there and it's like, look, I didn't come in here to, to listen to this kind of sermon. I came here to learn about God and sing a few songs and talking about anger actually just makes me kind of angry because there's no point to this, right? Because I think underneath that, some of us think anger is only about what's happening around us and not about what's happening in us. So losing the temper in the car, that's all about running late. That's all about stoplights. That's all about distracted drivers. It doesn't say anything more than that because some of us believe that anger only explains our experience. So we say things like, you made me angry. And so my anger is here because my experience of you and and you did something that placed anger inside of me. Or we say these sets of circumstances made me angry. And the problem with that is that the Bible teaches that anger does not simply explain our experience. Anger exposes our hearts. It comes from our spirit. Ecclesiastes 7.9, again, be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. It doesn't say anger lodges in the circumstances of life. It lodges in the heart. It comes from the heart. So what the wise understand about anger is that it has something to tell us. It's a messenger from the heart saying, pay attention to these things. And and we can't shoot the messenger. The other side, which is just as important, I think poignantly important with, 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 with where we are now, we also can't crown the messenger. Like we can't give anger or any other emotion for that matter control over us where we do what we do simply because it's how we feel. Uh, Matthew Henry, he's a a commentator, and in his commentary on the book of Matthew, he says this, anger is like fire. It's a helpful servant, but a terrible master. One of my favorite things about our house, it's an old late 70s Plano house. It's got a huge fireplace, and our fireplace is one of my favorite things about our house. It actually puts out heat. It's gas with fake logs, so I don't have to do any work. You just turn the thing, and it's wonderful. And so on weeks like the ones we just had where it's below freezing for several days, it's, it's just the best thing to leave the fire on all day, read a book, drink a cup of coffee, and it's wonderful to sit by the fire because it's controlled. In the fireplace, it's really nice. A fire in the attic is different. That's not, uh, that's devastating. It's consuming, right? And anger is like that. When anger gains control, when it's not a servant, it's a terrible master, it rules our life, even if it's just for a few moments, it can be devastating. It's consuming. It burns up relationships and families and churches and communities. And so one way to understand the passages about the person who is quick-tempered, who is quick to anger, is it describes somebody who is really quick to crown their anger, 
really quick to listen to it, slow to examine it, quick to let it have control. And so anger travels in my spirit really easily from the fireplace out to the rest of the house and to those around me. The foolish way to handle anger is to ignore it, dismiss it, to, to believe it only says something about my experience, nothing about my heart. The other foolish way is to exalt it, to be controlled by it, to give it reign over my life. The wise way is to consider, to examine. Again, if it's about being slow to anger, not free of anger, and if what that means is some anger is righteous and some is not, the wise consider, what kind of anger is this? And what does it say about my spirit? Two questions, I think, that help that. Uh, I feel angry, and I first ask this. Am I angry about something that God is angry about? In other words, does my anger reflect something true about the heart of God? For me, often my anger is about control. Uh, often anger at, at its deepest level in me is anger that comes from me being angry that I'm not God. Um, and God is not angry that I'm not God. He's not. And so the question, am I angry about something that God's angry about? That question is going to move a lot of anger into the category of foolish anger. Like, is God angry about this? No. Well, then I need something else. Like, I need to relinquish control. I need to ask for God's heart. I need to repent, and I need to dig in deeper to understand what's underneath all of this. I had two conversations um, after uh, church, after the 9 o'clock service with uh, two different guys. I'm not going to tell you who they were, uh, but it was about their anger. One of them was bleaker. And I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It was not bleaker. If he's angry, you know something went really wrong. He's always very happy. Um, but one of the conversations was uh, a guy was saying, hey, I, I feel angry, um, and that was convicting. And he's like, but what I'm wondering is I'm wondering, did the anger start at some point recently, or was the anger always there and it was just exposed by the right set of circumstances? Another guy came up and he said, what I've found in my own life is I've found that when I am having a hard time believing that God's going to provide for me, my anger increases. You know what both of those were examples of? Wisdom. Those are wise questions, a wise considering of, okay, this is not righteous anger, it's unrighteous anger, but I want to get underneath it and I want to ask questions that are, that are underneath the anger types of, types of questions because I believe God's going to meet me there and bring change there. So when the answer is no, God's not angry about this, then I need to, I need to dig in, I need to understand what that's saying. Sometimes though the answer is yes, God is angry about this. Uh, Keller says, Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York, he says, anger in its uncorrupted origin, so the righteous kind, is just love moved to deal with a threat to someone you love. God is love, uh, and, and what God loves is sometimes threatened, and when what God loves is threatened, he is moved to anger. Anger is his response to that. It's like a parent who is angry at the illness their child has, right? My four-year-old was sick a couple weeks ago, and she was in bed with a fever and with tired eyes and sad eyes. She looked up at me, and she said, Dad, I hate fevers. And I looked at her, and I said, I hate fevers too. I said, I hate your fevers more than any other fevers because I love her. And that anger, that hatred for the fever, that anger towards the fever is just love moved towards something that's threatening something that I love. You see this in Jesus, wise anger in Jesus. In John 11, when Lazarus dies, uh, everyone knows the shortest, well, most people know the shortest verse in the Bible. It's, it's 11.35, Jesus wept. Right before that, before his grieving, before his weeping, he's angry. 
In verse 33, it says Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. Deeply moved in Greek is one word, and it means outrage, anger, indignation. One translation says a deep anger welled in his spirit. You know why? Because he hates death, hates it. And Jesus has a wise spirit, no foolishness in his inner life at all. And it's moved to anger in the face of death because he hates death. In Matthew 21, Jesus sees people in the temple exploiting others and dishonoring God. And he turns the table over and drives people out. And John tells us that he made a whip and drove people out and, and animals out with that. Jesus has a wise spirit and he's moved to anger over something that God is angry about when God is dishonored and people are exploited. So this is a broken world. You and I are living in a broken world. And there's much that God loves, and when what God loves is threatened, his love moves him to anger. So sometimes when I ask, is this something that God is angry about? The answer is yes, it is. Because something that God loves is being threatened, and the righteous response from the wise heart is to be angry about what angers God. But if the answer is yes, we need another wise question. Am I angry in a way that God is angry? Not just am I angry about something that God is angry about, but is my anger, um, what does it want to accomplish? What does it want to defend? How is it manifesting in my life? Like what I've seen, friends, is I've seen uh, a few times in, in different settings, counseling, sometimes just online, people will defend explosive anger. They'll defend outrage. And, and they'll, it'll sound like this. Well, yeah, I got mad, and, and, and yes, these things happened, but... Um, but, you know, Jesus got angry. Jesus turned over tables and ran people out of the temple. And so in my anger, I'm just being like Jesus. Okay. But while that's happening for Jesus, he uh, says, my father's house is to be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. You know what that is? That's two different, two separate Old Testament quotes. He's quoting Isaiah and quoting Jeremiah. So it's a mashup of different prophecies. And Jesus is interpreting what he's doing through the lens of the prophets who he had memorized in his own heart. And then, not only that, a few days later, while being unjustly killed by his enemies, he prays what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He meets their anger with forgiveness. So in his anger in the temple... This really famous example of righteous anger from Jesus, even in that, he quotes the prophets while having a heart that's ready to die for his enemies in a few days. So before we claim that we're angry in the way Jesus was, we need to be prepared to memorize the Old Testament and forgive our, our enemies, right? Here's the point. Even when anger is a righteous response to something God is angry about, it has to come out of our lives in righteous ways. It has to honor God. Like often I think what that means is that anger doesn't know where to go and so it just turns to a longing for God's justice. Instead of going out to others, it goes up to God and it's a longing for Jesus to come back, a righteous anger that turns into prayers for God to keep his promises and for him to come and heal his world and for Jesus to split the skies and make everything right again. And if my anger is turning into prayers, that means my anger is moving towards God, not away from God, and that's wise. Okay. What is all that going to do? Follow me. If I pay attention, and I don't mean like an obsessive introspection, but if I pay attention to anger, if I don't dismiss it, I don't just believe it says something about my experience, and then I'm also not controlled by it. I don't crown it. If I ask about my anger, does it align with God's heart? And then in my anger, I ask, does this align with God's ways? What's all that going to do? 
it's going to slow things down. It's going to slow things down. If I have the kind of spirit that considers all that before God, you know what I will be? Slow to anger. I will have a spirit that is wise. Friend, is that how you handle anger? Is that your relationship to anger? Are you slow to it in that way? The wise spirit is also hard to offend. Slow to anger, hard to offend. Proverbs 12, 16. Uh, we'll do these next two uh, a lot quicker. More quickly? Who knows? Uh, <laughs> Proverbs twelve sixteen. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. Proverbs 19, 11, I almost just don't want to read it. Good sense makes one slow to anger. This last phrase, it might just be one of the most convicting things I've ever read. It is his glory to overlook an offense. The wise can ignore an insult. It's his glory to overlook an offense. The um, vexation of a fool, the irritation, the, the inner frustration of the fool is known at once. So there's two kinds of people in these passages. There's the offender then there's the offended. The offended's over here. Uh, there's the person who insults, and then there's the one insulted. And who did the passage offer wisdom for? Over here. It offers wisdom for the person who was insulted. It offers wisdom for the person who was offended. And it doesn't tell us much about the offense. How offensive was it? It doesn't tell us about the insult. What kind of, how, how deep did the insult cut? It just wants to deal with wisdom for those who are on the other side of all that. Because how someone reacts when offended, according to God's word, how someone reacts to an insult, it reveals something about their spirit. Um, it's like if you take a soft drink, like something carbonated that has the, like the carbon, dioxide, carbon dioxide gas in it. Uh, and if you shake it up, a soft drink, if you drop it on the ground, any sudden movement, it creates pressure in the drink. And then if you open it up, what happens? It explodes. It goes everywhere. If you did the same thing to a bottle of water, you shake it up, you drop it on the ground, sudden movement, and then you open it up, what happens? Nothing happens. And the difference is not in what happened. The soft drink and the water, they go through the same thing. The difference is this. There are conditions in the soft drink that cannot handle being shaken. There's contents in the drink that cannot handle movement. And so when it explodes, it says something, yes, about what happened to the drink. It also says something about what is inside the drink. And that seems to be the point of these proverbs. They want to talk about what's inside the person offended. They want to talk about what's inside the person insulted. You have those who can be insulted and ignore it. Then you have those who are insulted and they explode. Vexation is known at once. And in the explosion, it says just as much as what's in the person as what happened to the person. It's the glory of the wise to overlook offense. They are honored to overlook offense. Not that it doesn't hurt. It's the wise can handle being shaken by being overlooked or being slighted or being offended. And there's a kind of spirit that just can't handle that. It can't handle, uh, they can't overlook an offense. Instead, it obsesses over offense, tells everyone else around them about the offense, gives full vent to their offended spirit. And when that happens, what's being revealed is the condition of the spirit. Can, friend, can the contents of your spirit handle being shaken by insult and offense? Is, is it your honor to overlook an offense? Maybe some of us, if we're honest, I know this is true about me sometimes, 
uh, we'd say, not only can I not handle being offended, I can't handle perceived offenses. Like, I take offense even when offense wasn't intended. And here's where wisdom gets really practical and really on the ground. That makes relationships really hard. When you're easily offended, it makes relationships really hard because then the people around us never know what's going to upset us. Uh, Our spirit is so carbonated. It's so hypersensitive. It can't handle any misunderstanding. And so pay attention if uh, you think about your life and the relational conflict in your life is filled with instances when we are upset with people, not because of what they intended, but because of what we interpreted. Like we, we find offense even where offense doesn't exist because our, our spirit is uh, so easy to provoke, right? Like friends, life is too short to be perpetually offended because of our own assumptions, right? Not even what's actually happened, but what we assume people might intend. Like what would it be like, I just wonder, if you just asked those closest to you this question, am I easy to offend? Spouse? It's a really important question for your spouse. Uh, parents, kids, roommate, friends, home group. Like, um, do you ever feel like you have to be extra careful around me because you never know what's going to offend me, what's going to hurt my feelings, what's going to upset me? You experience me as somebody who something happens, and then a couple weeks later we're talking about something happens, and I didn't know you got offended, but you held on to it for several weeks, and now it's turned into a thing. Uh, like... Do I have the kind of spirit that makes you fearful that I'll explode if you say or do the wrong thing? Or maybe do I have the kind of spirit that makes you feel like you have to manage my insecurities because I'm so easy to provoke? Does that describe you at all? Or are you hard to offend? Not because you don't care, but Proverbs 10, 12 says this, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. The ability to overlook offense is because in your spirit there's an abundance of love, where there's a heart that's full of love and can extend love even in the face of offense and insult. We see this in Jesus. Second Peter says when he was insulted, he did not insult in return, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Love could abound from Jesus to those, even those who were insulting him, because he entrusted his soul and entrusted his reputation and entrusted his death and resurrection to God. Who would, who would be merciful in all that. The wise spirit is filled with love and love covers offenses, so the wise are hard to offend. Last one, the wise are quick to bring peace. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, wise words, uh, they diffuse. A harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 15.18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. You have two kinds of people that have two different relationships to conflict, two kinds of people that have two different relationships to chaos and dysfunction. You've got the foolish spirit, and they love to stir it up. Uh, They fuel chaos. We talked about this when we talked about the types of fools. The stubborn loves to keep the fight going. Where there's no strife, the foolish want to stir it up. Where there's already strife, the fool likes to inflame it and keep it going. A soft answer turns away wrath. A wise spirit quiets contention where there's noise, conflict, fighting, strife. The wise brings quiet to that. They are quick to calm things down, meaning this. The wise spirit, they are a peace-bringing presence. Do you know anyone like that? Where the kind of person where just when they're in the room, things feel calmer, 
uh, more stable, more whole. They're the person you want in the room like to mediate conflict. Do you know anyone like that? Uh, my mom is that person. She's just like that. She is a peace-bringing presence. She has this way about her, this spirit about her, where she just quiets things. Like uh, when she spends time with us at our house, she doesn't live close, and so when she comes in town and she stays at our house, the temperature of the home is just more peaceful. And she doesn't have a forceful personality. She's actually really meek, but scripture is quick from her mouth, and anger is slow in her heart, and she has a peace about her that she carries with her wherever she goes. And whenever it's time for her to leave, I'm like, hey, mom, can you just stay a few more days? Like, dad can go home, that's fine, but could you just, <laughs> could you just stay here, right? Because when you're here, there's just, there's just increased peace in the home. Do you know anyone like that? I, I want to be like that. I want to be a peace-bringing presence. Uh, I don't want to feed chaos like fools. I want to bring calm. I want to quiet contention. Uh, I want to be like that. What I wonder is, I wonder if I'm willing to pay the price to become that kind of person. Because what that seems to require is having a vision for life that's bigger than being right and getting my own way. It's the kind of spirit that can get above the quarrel, that can get above the offense. In some ways, this ties together everything we said. There's, there's some sort of internal condition of the soul, of the spirit, of the inner life, where they can, they can see beyond the fight and instead fight for peace. The fool spreads what's in their spirit, is the idea. The spirit that's filled with strife, the inner person, is filled with conflict and, and, and chaos. And so the fool wants what's in them, the chaos, to be reflected around them. And the wise has peace in their spirit. Their inner person is whole. So they're not quick to anger or offense. They don't stir up strife because they want what's in them, which is peace. They want that to be reflected around them. And that's the wise spirit. Okay. There is an immaterial part of you. Just to bring this to a close, there's an immaterial part of you and me, an inner life, a spirit, and wisdom wants to transform. It wants to cultivate in you an inner person that's slow to anger and hard to offend and eager for peace. Is that you? Do you have a wise spirit? Are you slow to anger? Are you hard to offend? Are you a person that brings peace? Look, here we are again in this series. Here's what I mean. In, I have just found wisdom to be incredibly demanding. Like, I thought, honestly, I thought it would require a change of behavior. Uh, I thought it would, it would mean make better decisions. I thought it would be a little bit more, like, hey, be a little bit more generous. But instead, wisdom says, I want your spirit. I want to... I want to intrude into the deepest part of who you are, and I want to lay claim there. I want to cultivate wisdom there. And, 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 and I want to inform something in your inner person that is slow to anger and quick to bring peace and hard to offend. And so here we are again, or at least here I am, feeling unwise, seeing my foolishness. And I hope you're with me. I don't want to be alone in that. And I guess what you could do is I guess you could just ignore all of this. You could. Um, some in the room could just shut this out. Proverbs talks a lot about the proud spirit. And it's the kind of spirit that sits through a sermon about being slow to anger and hard to offend and quick to bring peace and thinks of everyone else in their life who needs to hear it more than they do. Uh, there's a proud spirit who says, you know, I don't need any of this, while at the same time those around would say, you know what, you are quick to anger and you are easy to offend and you're really slow to bring peace and yet there's not an awareness enough. Pride has clouded the vision to where we're not aware enough to see that in us. And I imagine that's probably somewhere in the room, but what I think most of us 
They, we see wisdom. We see in our spirit a lot of foolishness. And it's more like, what do I do? What do I do about that? That's where I, I mean, that's where I am. I started the sermon telling you how easily provoked I can be. So the place we keep coming back to is the place where we actually become wise. And it's the place of being in desperate need for Jesus. He alone has the wise spirit. He is the person of wisdom. If he's wisdom personified, Proverbs 123 become his words. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit into you. I will make my words known to you. And Jesus, his spirit is slow to anger. Psalm 103, the Lord's slow to anger and rich in mercy. Jesus is prudent. He ignores an insult and overlooks offense. 1 Peter 2.23, he's insulted and he didn't insult in return. He trusted himself to God who judges justly. Jesus is quick to bring peace. In John 14, he promises, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. Who can change the spirit? Who can transform the deepest parts of who we are? Who can turn anger into patience and offense into love and strife into peace? Jesus can. Our Lord can. Our merciful God can. And while I have found wisdom to be incredibly demanding, I have found Jesus to be incredibly gracious and kind and generous. I think, friends, there's much to consider here. I think it's worth your time to get with your community and talk about anger, to examine what it says about you. I think you should ask those closest to you if you're easy to offend and and be humble enough and patient enough to listen I hope you long to be the kind of person who brings peace wherever they go. Uh, Wisdom would have us pay attention to our spirit in this. It would would behoove all of us to take seriously these verses. And I think why I feel it with such urgency is there's a way in which wisdom turns our attention to these kinds of things that, like I said, are so easy often to ignore. But these are... uh, formation-type things. This is what it means to follow Jesus, to allow him to every part of our life, to allow him and his wise spirit to lay claim even over the parts of us that we're the only ones that know are there. But the first step, the starting place and the staying place in all of that is Jesus, wise, generous, loving, merciful. So let's pray to him now. God, we love you. Oh, goodness, God, like, um, we need you. We need you, Lord Jesus. We need the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead to come and help us. Uh, How fruitless would it be to to think of a five-step plan for creating a wise spirit? Not that there's not faithful action, but, but, oh, what we need most, what we need first, and what we need most is the, is the power of the gospel, the power of the love of God that comes to us through the person of Christ to change us. Would you change us, God? I, I believe, God, that the majority of the hearts in the room want to be wise. I believe, God, that your uh, children, I believe, Jesus, that your brothers and sisters desire to have your spirit, that we would in our inner person, that there would be something of the old flesh that would fade away and something of the new creation that would take hold in our very spirit and that would come out as being a people who are slow to anger and hard to offend and quick to bring peace. 
because we want to honor you, because we love you. We want our lives to reflect something that's true and beautiful about you, O oh God. So help us. We need you. Amen.